With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I'm fascinated to see what all the drivers have been doing in this two-week break. Well, it's kind of a 10-day break, isn't it? I've just seen that Lewis Hamilton has been surfing since the US Grand Prix, and I really want to go surfing. Yeah, well, you should. It invigorates the soul. We went surfing down on Bantham Beach. It probably wasn't quite as glamorous as Lewis's location in the States. Oh, it was cold. Very cold indeed, but brilliant. Bracing. So if Lewis is doing that, what is Max Verstappen doing? Well, the point is, is that you don't know because he hasn't posted it on Instagram. Yeah, that's true. He might, might have been busy, <laughs> just might not want to promote it. It's not on Insta. It didn't happen. <laughs> I like that about Max Pinks. Yeah, he's fact. very private. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's stayed out in the US or whether he's even come back to Europe. But why should we know? This is his private time. Let him get on with it. He did celebrate his lovely mum's birthday. Sophie had a birthday in between the races. And now we start to enter the business end of the season. Oh. No more parties. No more fun. Get on and do the job in this titanic battle for the 2021 World Championship. Oh, Pinks, I've got goosebumps. That is a hell of a build-up. Five races in six weeks. Three different continents. We're racing at two new venues. It is all to play for. Just a 12-point difference between Max and Lewis and 23 between Mercedes and Red Bull. (sighs) Can't wait. Bring it on. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, and Mr. Tom Clarkson. It's interesting, isn't it? I feel that we're in the calm before the storm right now. It's been a very quiet news week for F1 because I think everyone is just battening down the hatches, trying to recover and just have as much energy as possible before these five races in six weeks. It's astonishing, isn't it? Because it's not exactly an easy route around the world either. Hopping up to Mexico and then Brazil, then across to Qatar, up to Saudi Arabia and then across to Abu Dhabi and then melt into a pile at the end of it. (laughs) But Mexico, I think, is a fascinating one because of its altitude. 2,200 metres above sea level, the highest of the season by a long way. 25% less oxygen. And we'll talk more on what that means for the cars. But I want to know what that means for the people on the ground. Because you know when you go for a little run at altitude, you're puffing and panting, really stretching the lungs. I want to know what that means for the drivers. Do they feel more exhausted driving at that altitude? I find just walking up the stairs, (laughs) I'm out of breath. (laughs) Everything just works a bit harder, doesn't it? Your your lungs, your heart. And um, it is very different up there. But the whole experience of being in Mexico City is different. It's the largest Spanish-speaking city in the world. 22 million people. And from the moment you get off the plane, you're just hit by this noise and colour. doesn't matter what time of day or night you land. It's just mental <laughs> from start yeah. to finish. And it's Checo land. It's Sergio Perez land. Everywhere you go, you're reminded that this is his country. He's on 
billboards. He's on the TV doing adverts. He's, you know, people are walking around in, well, back in the day, it was Racing Point T-shirts and hats. This time, it's, of course, going to be Red Bull Racing. And he goes there, Tom, crucially, with a car that he could actually win the race with. We know that this is a stronghold for Red Bull, although if 2021 has taught us anything, it's to throw the form book out of the window because we go into these races predicting them to go one way, they go the other. But he has definitely hit a decent run of form of late. So he's got the wind in his sails. He's got the altitude in his Honda engine and he's got the support of the crowd, the hugely passionate, crazy Mexican crowd behind him. As you say, is a bit of a party atmosphere. We normally coincide it with Day of the Dead, which is wild celebrations. I always think aesthetically it looks fabulous, doesn't it? The face painting and the costumes. And there's just this incredible energy about the place, which no doubt he will feed off and pull in a great result at the weekend. Well, how good a result? That's the question, isn't it? He comes into this race with two consecutive podiums. And let's not forget, he was really quick at the US Grand Prix. He was on provisional pole after the first runs in Q3 last week. He could, he really could out-qualify Max Verstappen here. He could then lead the race, obviously. He could potentially be in the running to win the race. What does Red Bull do then, Natalie? Well, you know what they have to do. It will be a hugely unpopular decision, but he has to give the place to his teammate as much as it pains me to say it goes against everything I believe in as a fan of the sport and I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree but there is a bigger picture here and it's a very tight picture and you talk to Christian Horner and he described it as taking it session by session race by race you cannot neglect any minutiae of this challenge because it is just so competitive So there's no way that they will let Sergio Perez win this race. What happens if Hamilton has retired from the race already and Red Bull are running 1-2, Checo ahead? Will they still swap them? Of course they should, because there's still seven points in it. And every single point, as we've seen so far already this season, will count. You know, because you never know, he could have a DNF further down the line. Nothing can be taken for granted. I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I completely agree with you. And so poor, poor Checo is coming into this one with his best chance of winning his home race. And that Forasol Stadium, right at the end of the lap, there's 55,000 people in that stadium. It is such an electric atmosphere there. And um, yeah, there's, there's, there'll be a lot of, shout, a lot of shouting there if, if they do swap them, but has to happen. It is a cauldron of noise and it is in that shape, of course, because it's been used for baseball in the past. So it is literally circular and they, the racetrack carves straight through the middle of it. So not only do you benefit from all the sound and atmosphere and energy, particularly at the podium as well at the end, I think it's the best podium of the year, up there with Monza at least, but you get this incredible bird's eye view of the car. You can literally look down into the cockpit of it. We missed out last year because of COVID. And actually, did you know that the track was used as a hospital during COVID? No, I didn't know that. That's... Yeah. Wow. Talk about tapping into your resources. So it's had a a deep clean and it is ready for racing again in 2021. And not a moment too soon for the Mexican fans who have missed it terribly. Jock Pink's just thinking of 
What news has happened this week in Formula One? I noticed that that the the Singapore pit lane uh, has been transformed into a COVID hospital as well. So it's happening all over the world. Yeah. As you say, it's been a bit of a quiet one, but big news from one of my pals, Anthony Davidson, is going to retire from professional racing at the end of this season, which is which is sad in a way because he's still pretty young. But good news for us at Sky F1 because we get to see him a bit more often. He's a busy guy with two young kids and he's probably thinking, my God, I spend half my life much like you on the road. Is there ever a good time to hang up your race suit or is there always a little niggle at the back of your mind that you did it a moment too soon? Well, I remember Mark Webber saying to me, you're a long time retired, so don't stop too early is his advice to all of his uh, fellow racing drivers. I mean, I don't know how old Ant is. Is he, what, 41, 42 now? But he has had a great career. And when I think of Anthony Davidson, I think of him in the BAR Honda pounding round Silverstone. He, he did so much testing for them. Uh, but the highlight for me of his career was 2004 when he was their third driver and did uh, a lot of FP1 sessions for the team. We had this sort of um, FP1 World Championship. There was him. There was Alan McNish uh, in the Renault. There was Alex Wurtz uh, in the McLaren, I think it was. And those guys used to set the fastest times of FP1 and, and set their teams up for the weekend. That, to me, is is Ant as well. Just uh, FP1, 2004, just setting the racetracks of the world on fire. He was, uh, And of course, let's not forget, he was the 2014 World Endurance Champion, wasn't he? So super, super career. And congratulations, Ant, from all of us. And while we're talking racing drivers, Pinks, I'm going to throw a name at you now. Japanese racing driver... Sakon Yamamoto. Do you remember him? I do. Now, it was just before my time, uh, the year before I joined BBC Five Live. But what, tell, tell me more. I mean, he shares, obviously shares his name with the Honda boss. He does. He does. And uh, funnily enough, he did most of his racing in Formula One with a Honda engine because he was at Super Aguri. Uh, he then went to Spiker and I think did a few races for HRT as well. Uh, but he's no longer a racing driver and he has just been elected to the Japanese parliament, their House of Representatives. So amazing. Yeah, he's now an MP. So good luck with that, Sakon Yamamoto. OK, here's a question then for our listeners. Who of the current grid do you think would be the strongest political leader? would get things done, would be popular, would 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 win the vote, would win the popular vote. If you're, I'm going to answer that as well, Pinks. And my serious answer is is Lewis Hamilton because of, he speaks so well and he um, supports so many great causes. So Lewis, I think, would be brilliant in that role. But my, my less serious answer is uh, Yuki, Yuki, Yuki Tsunoda. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll join Sakon Yamamoto in Japan's House of Representatives. We'll talk more about drivers in a moment. But, Pinks, we have someone in the waiting room who is one of Formula One's foremost engineers, I think, of Jordan, Ferrari, Williams. He's worked for them all. All round great lad, Mr. Rob Smedley. Smedders, are you there? There he is! Hello, people! Hey! Thank you for having me on. Great to see you, Rob. How are you? 
yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Tom. And that, yeah, lovely, sunny morning here in Oxford. And very, very happy to be on your brilliant podcast. Well, it's lovely to have you with us. And actually, we want to pick your vast grey matter now because we want to understand what on earth is going to come in the last five races of this frenetic and hugely competitive season. And why on earth the form book seems to count for nothing? We go to a racetrack like Austin, we say Mercedes Stronghold, of course Lewis is going to win there, and then he doesn't, and so on, basically throughout the season. Can we make any predictions heading to Mexico and beyond? I think we possibly can make some predictions. You've got, you've got to throw the form book out the window, definitely, but there, there are ways that you know we can look at it and, and get a reasonable idea of where it's going to, who's going to come out on top at that track. Um, but it's so close, isn't it? But doesn't that make it good? Yeah, we love it. <laughs> Rob, talk us through then the strengths and weaknesses of each car. How long have we got? <laughs> First of all, both cars are very, very good. Let's just say that. So we're really talking about nuances here. But the Red Bull probably has a little bit more downforce. Overall, it probably has a little bit more downforce. It seems to be... And this was this was the you know the same from the from the start of the season. It just seems to be slightly better balanced in high speed corners. The Mercedes since the very beginning of the season. Now I have to say they've made great inroads on this, but certainly from all the analysis that we do, it's just not as nice to drive as the Red Bull in the high speed corners. You know the Red Bull drivers, both Max and Checo, seem to be really comfortable. You know throwing it in there um, with just as a tinier lift than than Valtteri and, and, and Lewis. But then certainly low speed corners, there's not a great deal of difference between the two. And then if you take the straight line, Mercedes has got, it's always had a bit of an advantage, but it's probably stretched its legs a little bit now than what, what it was at the start of the season. So it's kind of nip and tuck and it's, and it's horses for courses, you know, it's because uh, every, every circuit that we go to, thankfully has high speed corners, low speed corners and straight lines. So <laughs> So we're in for a bit of a, um, a battle all the way to the end of the season, as I thought. Okay, so without oversimplifying it, if you had to be in a Mercedes or a Red Bull for the remaining races of the season, which car would you choose? You put me on the spot now. Yes. <laughs> am I only allowed to choose the car or, or am I choosing the driver and the package that goes behind that? Oh, well, let's do both because actually what we want to understand is what's happening with the car at these different tracks and why the various nuances of track seem to suit some and not others. And then that turns on its head and, you know, your guess is, well, my guess is as good as Tom's. Your guess, your <laughs> guess, Rob, is definitely better than both of us. So let's go for car first and then let's go for whole package and let's see if you give two different answers. Right. If I was, if I was going to go for car, I would go for the Red Bull. Yeah, almost certainly the Red Bull because I think it's a slightly better car and it has been a better car all season. I read something over the weekend where Helmut Marko had said that uh, Max had given away 50 points or something like that. Now, I don't know whether that's true, but it's certainly, if you take the, the races where he hasn't finished, you know, it might not be a net 50 points compared to Lewis, but it's certainly quite a few points that he's given away. So I think that they've had the best car. I think they had a, a significantly better car at the start of the season, and they probably, it's fair to say, failed to capitalise on that. But then as the season's gone on, they've still kept that, that small advantage. You know, it's swung Mercedes um, way on occasions, but, but overall, it's, they've still had the best car. And with the driver? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I thought if I rambled for long enough there, Nat, you would you would forget about that um, thing. Right. So I'm going to go, I, I've, I've got to go with Lewis, haven't I? Because he's done it seven times before. Now that's not to take anything away from Max because Max is, you know, once in a generation talent. But I think that just Lewis has learned more of his craft than Max. So he's like anybody who's been doing it longer than Max and he's done it seven times before. So I would, you know, if it was a, if they were in identical cars on with identical tires and all the rest of it for the final remaining races, you know, I would still back Lewis at this point in time. It's fascinating how pressure affects a team. And you've been in a championship showdown, Rob, back in 2008 with, with Massa. Does it start affecting a team's judgment in terms of car setup and uh, you know, during a race, strategy. Uh, I think it does. Yeah, I think it's. I think the, the the job of the more senior people in the team is to minimise that effect as much as possible. But I don't think you can you can ever you know even if it's just in your subconscious, you can't get rid of the fact of the size of the prize on the table. You know, it's not just a race win or something like that. It's it's the Formula One World Championship, probably the most difficult sporting trophy to win on the planet. Certainly one of the most hotly contested. It's the old adage, you've just got to take one race at a time. You shouldn't be looking beyond that particular event that you're in, but you can't help it. You just simply cannot help it. And as, and as those races get less and less, right, so you get down to... You know, three races to go, the penultimate race, the final race. That is so difficult not to let that be part of your your thinking. So I think that it, it does affect decisions. You do sometimes make a different decision when you're in a world championship dogfight than you would if it was just, you know, that particular weekend that you're gambling on. As I said, it's the job of the senior management to minimize that as much as possible. Okay, well, let's take it one race at a time then for now. And let's look specifically at Mexico. We're always being told that the Red Bull fares so well there because of the high altitude, because there's 25% less oxygen in the air. What is it about their Honda power unit that has the ability to compensate for that thin air? Can you put it in layman's terms? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I don't think it's, I don't think it's all the, the Honda power unit that helps Red Bull around there. You know, it is a classically, it, it's Monaco downforce, right? Even though it's got that ridiculously long straight, the rest of the circuit is Monaco downforce. And because of the air density is so low, as you touched upon, uh, the more downforce you can put on the car, the better it goes. Now, what they do with their engine to compensate for the higher altitude, we can only really guess because I've never worked at you know Red Bull before or I've never worked in a team that has run Honda power units. But the best guess looking at the data and looking at the acoustic analysis, so when we take all the, the different noises that are coming off the power unit and then we try to work out all the various frequencies of the, the frequency that the engine, the, so the internal combustion engine is operating at and then the frequency that the, 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 the turbo and the compressor are spinning at, it appears to be that all, all the power unit manufacturers, by the way, when they go to Mexico to compensate for the, for the high altitude, increase turbo speed, so incre- increase compressor speed by a certain percentage. From our numbers, um, it looks as if Honda do that a little bit more than the other power unit manufacturers. So that would be a technical 
explanation. Now, this has all come from acoustic analysis, right? We haven't got any data that tells us this um, for sure. But in layman's terms, what do they do? They, they spin up the turbo um, faster to compensate for the lower air density, and then that puts the same charge and the same density of, or so the same amount of um, mass of, of air into the cylinder to get the same amount of power or less of a loss of power than down at sea level. How nervous do you think Mercedes are going to be about reliability? Because it seems that everything is more stressed at that altitude, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and that's really one of the big decisions that, that, you've, that the power unit manufacturers have got to make. You know, how much extra turbo speed are they going to allow for in Mexico to try and compensate and, and try and get some of that power back? So, you know, I, I don't think this is a particular Mercedes issue. You know, Mercedes have had their, their power unit issues, if you like, more recently than, than, than Red Bull. Um, or Honda have had their power unit issues. We haven't got to forget that, that it wasn't that long ago that Max was taking penalties for, for power unit infringements or reliability issues or whatever. So I think that when, when the championship is, is this close and there's so many different variables that can decide it, I don't think that they, you know, either Honda or um, MHPP are going to be going into this and feeling relaxed. <laughs> I don't think anyone feels relaxed at the moment for the rest of the season, do they? Um, but the bigger picture for Mercedes is a bit of a concerning one, isn't it? When you think about the amount, what is Bottas on his sixth? engine ICE like double the allocated amount for a season and they've talked at Mercedes about this fear of catastrophic failure and the fact that they've got to manage engine components and and balance out performance versus reliability so what's your gut feeling do you think Hamilton will have to take a penalty before the end of the season uh, I think there's a strong possibility that both of them will you know as I said we can't you know we shouldn't be too down on where where Mercedes is at because I, I think what what we're seeing here is when it comes down to it and it's this close in a championship there's definitely strategies that can play out between how often you want to change the power unit so how hard you want to run that power unit to get the the 25 or the 26 points in the bag and then you know what you would be prepared to do to take a penalty later on so definitely there there are some some reliability issues coming in, but I'm sure some of those reliability issues are just how hard the two teams are pushing each other as well. You, you can see that even when teams do take a penalty or particular drivers do take a penalty, they're still able to get really good results from that. So, so it's, all, it's all about risk management and it's all about you know, trying to weigh up the various strategies that are in front of you and just trying to get the best result out of it. But almost certainly we could see you know, any one of the Mercedes or Red Bull drivers take a penalty before the end of the year. Ooh. Big nerves, big nerves. Yeah, strategic headache, isn't it? Yeah, but the wonderful thing about this championship is that it's not just Mercedes against Red Bull. We've got this brilliant battle for P3 in the Constructors' Championship as well between McLaren and your old team, Ferrari, who look like they've got a bit of wind in their sails now, Rob. What's your take on on that battle for P3? It's brilliant, isn't it? I think that... This is why it's such a, a golden season of, of Formula One, because not only have you got something out front for, you know, P1, that then, then, as you say, you, you tack back just the next row of the grid. And, and there's this absolutely mega battle with two giants of the sport, four absolutely outstanding drivers, all in this battle for P3. So it's brilliant. And I think if you look at what Ferrari have done, I'm bound to say this, but I, I'm really, I'm always really happy to see Ferrari making good on their inroads to recovery. 
and definitely what they've done over the, the middle to, to latter part of the season has been really, really impressive. But again, that one ebbs and flows, doesn't it? I mean, you only have to look back to, to Monza. It wasn't that long ago when, you know, Daniel won that race quite convincingly with Lando not far behind. And wasn't it great to see uh, young Daniel winning a race again? We've had so many different people on the podium. It's been an explosion. You get all of these drivers either winning races or being on the podium. You know, maybe they've had a tiny leg up, but it, it's principally on merit. So I think it's just absolutely brilliant. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the same question then about Ferrari or McLaren. Which car would you rather be in for the remaining races of the season? I think right now I would back Ferrari to do it. I think that they've got a little bit of an advantage. And if you look at the trajectory of their development and how they're adding performance to that car, I think that they are probably in the, the hot seat. You know, it's, it's, let's say it like this, it's probably theirs to drop right now more than it is for, for McLaren. But, but you can't write McLaren off because McLaren, you know, the turnaround that they've done since 2018, probably 2018, 2019, you know, under its new management and new guidance has been incredible. Does P3 in the Constructors' Championship mean more to McLaren or Ferrari? Uh, it means a lot to both of them, right? You know, even if you, because they're both giants, of the sport, there's no doubt about it. They're both iconic within our sport, but it's fair to say that both of them have fallen on hard times. They're not where they should be. You know, both organisations are used to dominating the sport, and neither of them are, are, are doing that now. But there is a there is a pathway, there is a roadmap to get from being fairly mediocre, not even at the front of the midfield, to winning again. And that's not a, a boolean. Um, you know, that's not a, that's not a binary step. It's not from zero to one. You've you got to take the, the baby steps along the way there and accept that right now P3 is really, really important to both of them. You know, you've got to get that P3. And, and once you put that stake in the ground, the next thing is then you say, right, OK, what's the next step? Well, the next step is we want to be fighting at the front there. But, you know, let's make sure that P3 isn't a flash in the pan. It's, it's all about plateaus in Formula One. So you kind of go from, from wherever you are to the next plateau and you make sure you stabilise your organisation around that plateau. And then once you've done that, then it's time to move on to the next. If you try and move too quick, it's so competitive now. You know, that there are no bad teams out there. And it's just so incredibly competitive that if you get too far ahead of yourself and get too far over your skis, um, you're going to fail. Such a good point. Yeah. It was worth getting you on this podcast. I'm uh, not bad, am I? <laughs> <laughs> not bad. <laughs> hey, but Rob, what about you? You were at Williams until 2018. You've been working for Formula One. I've always thought of you as a racer. Are we going to see you back in a team in Formula One? Go on, give us an exclusive. Never say never, Thomas. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm still lucky enough to get offers, but it has to be the right thing for me. You know, it has to be something that really engages me. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you now, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, something that probably not a lot of people know is that I wanted Williams to be my last team. You know, I wanted to probably be with them for a, a long time. You know, I was with Ferrari for, for 11 years. Loyalty means a lot to me on both sides of the fence, you know, both on my side and whatever team I'm working for. And I would like to, if I do end up working in the teams again, 
then I would like it to be for for the long haul, um, which was the plan with Williams. You know, I'd like to to kind of have a project there where we build something up and see it out um, until I'm really too old and grey to be to to be doing this nonsense anymore, and then and then really have to to, to stop and do something a bit easier. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there is the, I, I am, I am a racer, Tom. I think that is, is the one thing that I have learned about myself over the last however many years. I, I'm addicted to that Saturday and Sunday afternoon feeling, you know, that, that is an addiction that never, ever leaves you that the, the burning competitor inside of you that just wants to go out and bury everybody else is the, is the most polite way of putting it. The truth is there is no substitute for it, is there? Rob, which of the two title protagonists would you most like to race engineer, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen? Let's be clear, Tom. I think my race engineering days are probably behind me now. I might be a little bit out of the game. But if I'm being totally honest, Max, and, and the reason why I say that is because I think that Lewis is just what we touched upon before. I think Lewis is more of a finished article. I think that Max, there's still some stuff to do with him, you know, to get to that absolute finished article, you know, which is perfection. And he's a nice kid as well, actually. He's a real nice lad. So it would just be, I think that would be quite good fun. What about elsewhere on the grid, Rob? Who else has stood out for you this season? We've got such a rich crop of talent going on right now. Lando is just getting better and better and better. And and he just astounds me that he's 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 driving beyond his, his years, you know. I really like Daniel just because he's just such a nice guy, right? And I think that he really struggled at the start of the season to get his head around that car. And you could see a little bit where it was as well, about where Lando could just get get it to, to that final part of the apex and, and Daniel was struggling with it. So to do the job that he's done and have that mental stability and come back and always do it, you know, in good spirits as well. And, and he's really got uh, his head around what being an F1 driver is all about. So two McLaren drivers, two Ferrari drivers a race, aren't they? You know, Carlos has gone there and he's done the business straight away. Made a lot of people sit up and when they compare him against Charles, you know, probably didn't expect him to do as well as he's done, but he's got his head down and he works hard. And again, you know, good lad, nice guy, just just gets on with the job. I think we're, we're, we're really fortunate in Formula One at the minute because we've got so many good drivers right across the board. I better mention George because uh, I quite often see him and, and he'll shout at me if I don't see him as well. Good <laughs> George. On the subject of giving up victories, Rob, uh, Pinks and I were discussing earlier in the pod uh, what happens this coming weekend if Checo Perez is leading Max Verstappen and we both agreed that they will swap positions and I assume you would say the same. Do the race engineers plan how to make that switch? And I want to take you back to Hockenheim 2010, Fernando is faster than you. That was your message uh, to Felipe Massa. It was. Will, will, will the race engineers plan in advance how to get that message across if Checo is leading and Max is second? And indeed, will they discuss that with Checo beforehand? Presumably. He's not stupid. He knows the position his teammate is in. He also knows he's driving potentially for his first win in front of a home crowd. Pinks, I really hope it's Max is faster than you. <laughs> You own that one, Rob. Uh, yeah, I can remember that. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you. Here's <laughs> <laughs> he, the thing that you've got to do, right? Red Bull senior management with the two drivers 
and the two race engineers have to be sitting down and having these conversations right throughout the weekend. We should be having these conversations now, right? Because then when it comes to it, it's not a drama. It, it's a drama when nobody's talked about it and Checo's leading the race and he's five seconds up the road from Max or whatever it is. And then suddenly they say to him with 20 laps to go, swap positions. And then he's like, well, hang on a minute. This was never on the cards, was it? I think if everything's talked about, you know, you've got to have that the little meeting where the little get-togethers that will be going on during the weekend with Christian and, and Helmut Marco and the two drivers. And probably at some point you're going to bring in the two race engineers and the chief engineer or whatever. And as long as you're all open and honest about it, then nobody should really have a problem because nobody comes above the team, right? Not Max, not Checo, nobody. They, they, they all work for, for Red Bull. And I think as long as you've had that conversation... And as long as you've got rational people working for you, it's all going to be good. That's such a good point. You just have to discuss it beforehand. I mean, you might not reach a conclusion, but you discuss it. That's going to be a hard call to give Checo, isn't it? At his home oh, race. Yeah, oh. but you know, he's a realist. He's a realist this time last year. He didn't even know if he had a drive in 2021. So, I mean, he will accept that this is part and parcel of driving for Red Bull when your teammate is fighting for a championship. Yeah, of course. And I, and I think that. You know, he's he's a, he's a great driver, Checo. I think he is. Uh, and, he's, and he's been around the block enough now to understand that this is his first year in Red Bull. Uh, he'll want to make that a multi-year deal. He's accepted. I mean, he, this is a guy who come into the, the season, which I thought was eminently sensible, saying it's going to take me five races to get on top of the car. It actually took, took him a little bit less than that. But he'll want to turn this into a multi-year deal. And in his mind, the way he'll rationalise it, which is absolutely the correct thing to do, is make sure that I'm in this car for the next one, two, three, four years. And then that will allow me to get on terms with Max. Now, whether or not that can ever be the case is another question mark altogether. That's another discussion. That's another podcast, let's call it. Um, but um, if he's in the car, if he's in it, then he can win it, right? If he does something stupid this weekend, let's say the scenario played out as we were talking about and he didn't move over, then that would almost seal his fate of probably not being in the car for that much longer. Oh, Rob, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Thank you for explaining it all so clearly. So you think it's going to be a Red Bull victory this weekend? I think that uh, Red Bull are in a very strong position this weekend, yeah. I think that Mercedes have got to pull something out of the bag if they're going to beat them in Mexico. Now, that's not the case for the remaining races after that, but definitely this one. This one looks like a good one for, for Red Bull. So let's see if they can deliver. There you go. Well, Rob, thank you. And I hope we see you back in the pit lane soon. Here, here. No, no doubt you will. <laughs> I don't know what I'll be doing, but no doubt you will. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Pinks, I love talking to Rob Smedley. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He is brilliant at taking a very difficult technical subject and making it simple best teachers always are they are indeed and um, when he says Red Bull are going to be the team to beat this weekend yeah I'll roll with that I'm never inclined to disagree with Rob Smedley yeah looking forward to hearing Max is faster than you oh no I can't bear it <laughs> I can't believe we've got just five races to go having said that Bahrain does seem like a lifetime ago doesn't it five races in six weeks it's just going to be a blur of madness and then suddenly we're all going to be in Paris for the FIA prize giving giving the trophy to one of them and who's it going to be? 
neither of them, neither of them deserve to lose. I'm just going to have a heavy heart for whoever hasn't won. Pinks, that's such a good point. That is such a good point. Neither deserves to. It's been a titanic battle. Although something Rob did say there, you know, think back to Baku, those 25 points that, that Max didn't get because of that puncher and putting it in the wall. Then more points that went amiss in, uh, in Silverstone. It's been a great season for Max Verstappen. Whatever happens next. And at every single juncture, a lesson has been learned. That kind of experience is worth its weight in gold. So even if... Max doesn't get it this season, even if Lewis doesn't take that historic eighth world title. Both of them will have walked away, I'm sure, having enjoyed it and learned a lot in the process. Well, if Max doesn't get it this season, it'll feel very like 2007 when Lewis came so close in his first season. And then, uh, do you remember it all slipped away in that gravel trap on the way to the pit lane in China that year? But it's going to be very, very close. Well, Pinks, I've got to head to the airport pretty soon. It's time to go. Time to fly. Triple header. Enjoy. Yeah, knocking up a few air miles in the next three weeks. And the irony of that is you don't want to use them. You get all these air miles and you just want to stay at home. It's so true. Yes. Do you want them? I could give them to you. Sure, I'll take them. F1 Nation is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. <laughs> 